Sometimes the world seems like it's spinning out of control. So we look to God for centering and calm in the eye of this storm. God hears our prayers of anger and of sadness. God hears our prayers even when we have no words. May we be a people bold enough to speak the truth of our innermost heart. And may God give us grace and strength for such truthful speech. We confess that when we feel small, we try to make others feel small, too. We confess that our words and actions have sometimes caused others pain. We pause for a moment of silent reflection. Sisters and brothers, God hears our prayers and is full of grace. We are forgiven. Let us lift our voices in praise to God. How's that? Is that better? Yeah. I was saying, if you have a prayer concern, write that down on the tear-off and put that in the offering plate. Our, our staff gathers on Tuesdays of every week, and we pray for uh, these concerns and other concerns that are brought. Yeah. This, uh, this morning, I had to do a double-take. It's an instinct as I walk in, and you've seen James do this dozens of times, with the sermon folded in half to hand to Jerry Humphreys, who reads along. And we said goodbye to Jerry on Wednesday. We miss Jerry. The theme of many of the scriptures and my sermon today is anger. Uh, the anger that we have in our lives and, and what we do with our anger. You'll hear many of the scriptures talk about that in different ways. From Psalm 22, which speaks of being forsaken, the rage of being forsaken. And then moves to a more redemptive place. You'll hear from Hebrews how we have a Savior who can identify with us in all of our emotions, including anger. And then you'll hear words from the Gospel of Mark about leading a new life, emptied of our own self and taking on the cross. So be looking for that theme throughout the service. And the music, too. We'll hear familiar words, but we'll also hear one song, perhaps, that you haven't heard before. It's the insert in your order of worship, and it's called Inspired by Love and Anger. 
And that particular hymn, many Northside drivers have been to the Iona community, which is off the western coast of Scotland. It is an Iona community hymn uh, written by a member there. And the words speak of being inspired uh, for social justice by the anger in one's life to make it redemptive. Because it's a new tune, the choir will sing the first verse, and then we'll join in for the remaining verses. Welcome to the worship of God. The psalmist offers a plea for deliverance from suffering and hostility. A reading from a psalm, Psalm 22, 1 through 11, and 22 through 31. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. Yet you are holy. Enthroned on the praises of Israel, in you our ancestors trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not human, scorned by others and despised by people. All who see, all who see me mock at me. They make mouths at me. They shake their heads. Commit your cause to the Lord. Let him deliver. Let him rescue the one in whom he delights. Yet it was you who took me from the womb. You kept me safe on my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth. And since my mother bore me, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he did not despise or abhor the the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but heard when I cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will pay before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. To him, indeed, shall all who sleep in the earth bow down. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, and I shall live for him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying that he has done it. Here ends the first lesson. And now let us pray. Lord, we come to you in this ever-spinning world for centering and calm in the midst of storms of all kinds, natural, political, and emotional We thank you for being a strong and comforting place for us to turn. Though we may not always find find answers, we will always find your never-ending mercy and love, which provide us with a sense of acceptance and security. We thank you for this acceptance, for listening to us even when we have no words, and for encouraging us to speak boldly in the name of your grace and love. We confess that we are not always Christ-like in our words, actions, or thoughts, But we give thanks to you for your forgiveness 
and for your grace, which allows us to start fresh, a grace that we can see so clearly in this beautiful changing of seasons from summer to fall. We gather here today, longing to be in your presence, seeking to start anew, striving to be more Christ-like as we face the coming week. We lift our voices in praise and thanks to you as we pray, just as your son Jesus taught us, saying boldly, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. This lesson invites the opportunity as well as obligations. I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong lesson. Sorry. The intercessory ministry of the risen Christ was important to the early church and to us. In this text, the writer speaks of the vulnerability of being known as well as the ample mercy and grace of God a reading from the letter to the Hebrews. Indeed, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides the soul from the spirit, the joints from the marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him, no creature is hidden, But all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of God, to whom we must render an account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Here ends the second lesson. Children, you can come forward. Good morning, everybody. Hi. Hey, Matilda. Good morning. Good morning. There it is. Yay. There we go. 
Well, good morning, everybody. I have missed you. Some of you have been on fall break from your schools, and I have I've been, been on my fall break. Did you have a good time, buddy? Um, this is my last day because I started last Monday. Last Monday. We'll live it up today, buddy. Yes. Back to the grind tomorrow, right? Yeah, I have. <laughs> so, and you went to Disney World with your family, didn't you? Well, ah, did you go to Disney World? Oh my goodness, party at Disney World. Well, um, so every, welcome back to everybody. I have been in North Carolina this week for about a week, and I have been spending time with my mom and my dad. And I brought a picture of my mom and my dad. His name is Carrie, and her name is Kathy. And that, that's a picture of us when we were on a trip a long time ago. But um, so it was so nice to be in North Carolina, spending time with my mom and dad, because they live eight hours from Atlanta. They're kind of near the coast of North Carolina. So um, it was so nice to be able to spend time. And luckily, your mommies and daddies are right here in the same town with you. You get to see them every day. But um, my daddy is here, and he, he and my mom... Um, are both very active in their church, and they, with my brother and sister and I, um, they taught us to, um, they would take us to church on Sunday mornings, and they would, my mama sings in the choir, and my dad is an usher, and he helps out in lots of different ways, and they taught me, hey, Levon, hey, Levon, buddy, you want to see that right there? So they um, taught me lots of wonderful things about the church and about life, and they helped with them, our swim team and taught me lots of things. And um, what are some things that your mommies and daddies do for you? They, they let you play video games? <laughs> awesome. What, um, what are some things that your parents do for you that you appreciate so much? Avi. Take you where? To the what? Great Wolf Lodge. Oh, to Great Wolf Lodge, to the water, indoor water park. That sounds a lot of fun. What are some things that they do for you every day? How do you get your breakfast? How do you get your lunch and your dinner? Does somebody help you with that? Yes. They take care of us. Yes, they do. So this, um, do you know that the Bible tells us to honor our mamas and daddies, to honor our father and mother. And um, so it was an honor for me to be able to be in North Carolina and to spend time with them. And it, um, I did that because I love them. But um, it's also important for us to remember that you know, we want to be thankful to our mamas and daddies and let them know for the wonderful things that they do for us. So what are some things that we can do to, um, what are some things that you can do to thank your mommies and daddies and to help them? Yes. Amen. Be nice to moms and dads. Yes. That's right. What's another thing they can do, that we can do to show honor in, to them? Avi. Rake the leaves. Oh, I know that would be very, very helpful, especially now. You can also wait a few weeks and you'll probably have a few more. What are some things that you, you can do to show honor to your mom and dad? Actually, um, probably um, last year at Halloween, my dad used a drill to carve his jack-o'-lantern. You going to help him with that? You gonna no, help? He did, he did it. With, he scooped out the hitter to have a pump with an ice cream scooper this time. Well, that, oh, that'll be cool. You're going to help him um, carve your pumpkin for... Um, um, I already did. 
see that. It's a wonderful I, way you can I, help. I did it yesterday. And you can clean up all the seeds and yeah. stuff. So awesome. So did you know that God is our Father also? Okay. All right. So let's think of ways this week that we can be, um, be especially nice and helpful to our mommies and daddies and to thank them for all the wonderful things that they do for us. Yes, sweetie. Give them something for their birthday. Yes. To honor them on their birthday. That's wonderful. All right, will you pray with me? Levi, will you pray with me? Dear God, thank you for being our Father, and thank you for our mommies and daddies, and um, help us show them this week very, in very special ways how much we love them. Amen.
This lesson invites the opportunity as well as obligations which are involved in following Jesus. A reading from the Gospel according to Mark. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age. Houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children, and fields with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. The Gospel of the Lord. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, I've always read that verse from Psalm 22 as a sad, plaintive cry, thinking it was uttered softly in a barely audible whisper, the pillow dampened by tears. But here lately, I've been reading it with anger on my mind. Face red, the clenched fist, slamming the hand down on the table. Because the past several weeks, I've been thinking about anger. The truth is, I've struggled with anger in my own life. So the topic swirled out of my life. I always thought that anger was something I wasn't allowed to feel as a Christian. I mean, it is one of the seven deadly sins, right? So we can't get too close to something that is so deadly. Anger was an emotion that meant I was out of control. And the way we talk about anger would make you think that. We say when asked to describe sudden episodes of anger that the person snapped or they lost it. Two men are trading insults in a bar and one lashes out suddenly in violence. He just snapped, the witness says to police. He lost it. You know, we might become blind with rage That's an apt name because rage doesn't see all the targets it harms. We might stew in our anger. And a stew, if left on the stove too long, can burn up and burn everything around it. Things are out of control. There's a lot of truth to that. There seems to be a lot of losing control these days. Did you watch the Supreme Court hearings? Did you see the anger contorting the face of the nominee and the senators? I haven't seen that much anger in a room full of so much power in my life. It was downright scary. And there were women who were angry, too. One confronted a senator on the elevator because there had been enough injustice in her life to light a fire of rage. Our society has all these unwritten rules about who can get angry and under what conditions. Race and gender play big roles, and and, and those roles make people angry. Every day there's a new outrage. I mean, every day. And it can quickly overwhelm you. I, I remember when we were all outraged about how children were being separated from parents at the border. This must be stopped today! But suddenly nothing changes. In fact, it got worse. And every time there's a mass shooting, we get outraged. This must be stopped today. 
But seemingly nothing changes. In fact, it gets worse. Problem is, there's too much to get angry about. We just don't have the emotional capacity for it, I'm afraid. I get angry, and I don't always know what to do with the anger. What what do you do? What do you do with all the anger? For a long time, too long, Christians have told each other this little rule. Whatever you do, don't take your anger to God. Go scream into a pillow, please. But don't you dare disturb God with your impious thoughts. I never knew until fairly late in life that I could take my anger to God. I never had permission to get angry with God. But I think it's high time we got permission. There are, there are a few reasons I want to share with you why. The first is that God gets angry. I mean, God got so angry with the Israelites when they made the golden calf, he almost wiped them all out. Moses had to talk God off the ledge. God's anger was so well known that Jeremiah told God, correct me, but not in your anger. And Jesus got angry too. He became angry when things he deeply cared about were threatened. Jesus was angry when the temple was desecrated, when oppressive economic practices had taken over God's house. He became angry at his disciples when they tried to keep the little children from reaching Jesus' healing touch. So if God gets angry about things that God cares deeply about, and we are made in the image of God, then anger can be a healthy expression of our humanity. And God created us with a capacity for anger, but the difficulty is that anger can be, on the one hand, destructive and soul-destroying, and on the other, it can be redemptive and cleansing. The freedom we have in deciding how to use our anger is so important. The second reason we can bring our anger to God, that is if we don't do that, we'll take it out on other people. You know, there are many roads leading to destructive anger. One road is to pretend like it's not there. Let it boil on low heat for a while. Uh, But eventually it's going to boil over and it's going to burn somebody near it. We're the closest, so we'll get burned, of course. But it might be our spouse or our children or our friends or some random passerby. A good sign that we're letting anger consume us is when we start to talk down about ourselves and about others. You heard it in the psalm. The psalmist puts it like this. He says, I am a worm. I'm not human scorned by others and despised by the people. I mean, do you hear how much pain is in that language? To say of yourself that you are so low that you're just a crawling worm, a sign of death and decay, to say of yourself that you're not even a human being, that is a place of deep rage. Our small group recently watched this documentary about Mr. Rogers that came out recently. And I commend it to you. It was one of the most deeply humanizing films that I've ever seen. It is an antidote to the rage we feel. 
And among the many gems that the film offers is that Fred Rogers, who was an ordained minister, created space for anger, for children to feel anger. Because he knew that little children and grown people alike struggled with the feelings inside. And one of his songs, and Keith, you might want to put on noise-canceling headphones because I'm about to sing. (laughs) He sings, I'm angry, I'm angry, and I can tell you why. The reason that I'm angry is that somebody made me feel very small. Hear that? Anger makes us feel so small because it is our lack of control that is being exposed. We never had full control anyway, is the truth, but we don't like being trapped in that feeling. And we're feeling small, we seek to make others feel small. We can do that if we want to. We can try it, dehumanize others, tell ourselves that our lot in life proves that we're worth nothing. But it's not true. We can take our dehumanizing language and apply it to our neighbors, and that's what psychologists call projection. And imagine that if we aren't worthy of God's love, then nobody else could be either. But that's not true. Be on the lookout for that kind of language, dehumanizing language. It is a sign of deep anger. When people call others cockroaches, animals, scum, They're telling you that the other person isn't made in the image of God. They can be eliminated. Immigrants fleeing violence or seeking better life are called illegal aliens because an alien isn't human. Or sometimes it's just shortened to illegal because an illegal lacks personhood. We heard stories this past week of a five-year-old who signed away her right to a hearing that would have expedited her return to her parents. We heard stories of a two-year-old in court before an immigration judge without an attorney. Illegals, they're called. Nazis call the Jews Untermenschen, a German word that means literally subhuman. Our political opponents, they're, they're not just wrong, they're monsters. They are flaming piles of garbage, or so we say on Twitter and Facebook. We have the freedom to allow our anger to dehumanize us, but we'll end up dehumanizing all of us. We erase the image of God bit by bit with our non-redeeming rage. And left our own devices, our anger were born out of control, and it will destroy everything in its path. That's why we can take it to God, who is big enough to take our truthful speech and give us grace to redeem the hurt inside of us. The pastoral theologian Andrew Lester, in his book, The Angry Christian, tells the story of a young man whose career had not turned out the way he'd planned. He'd finished seminary, and he couldn't get a job. And he asked, why would God call me to this vocation and then not give me a job? And for a long time, it never crossed his mind that he could take his anger to God because he was taught that was blasphemy. But one day, he really let God have it. I mean, he really did. He gave God a piece of his mind. He said every bad word in his vocabulary. He ranted and raved till he was exhausted. And then he sat down, and he heard a voice which said, 
Now that you've gotten that out of your system, let's talk for a while. He realized in that moment that God loved him not because he was good, but because God was love. And it's not that God is our punching bag. I mean, don't think of it as punches. Think of it as taking your pain to the one who has the power to redeem it. Because God does have that power. The last thing this psalm, Psalm 22, teaches us about anger is that when we take our anger to God, God can redeem it. I think we need to read the entire psalm. We heard most of it this morning. From its beginning verses of forsakenness to its last verses of redemption in order to see the true scope of God's power. And it takes some work to get to a redemptive place in our lives because when we we begin reading the psalm, we realize the psalmist is not feeling so good. I mean, he said he wasn't even human. God had forsaken him. Enemies had surrounded him. So how in the world do we get to the end of the psalm and you get to this place where the last few verses can be written? I'd, I'd really like to know. It's almost like they took two poems and patched them together. I mean, a few verses in, we're alone and surrounded and circled by the bulls of Bashan. And, and then a few verses later, we're singing praises to God. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. Well, you know, I don't know how to make that transformation of my own power. I have tried to will myself out of destructive anger, but I, I can't. Because, you know, after a particularly brutal week, somebody asked me, how do we deal with all this bad news? And I said, honestly, I I don't know. I know I'm not supposed to say that. I felt really angry at that moment. I felt really small. And there's only one thing I can do when I'm feeling small. There is only one person I can turn to when I feel overwhelmed. I must be willing to deny myself and take up the cross. I must be willing to go to God with my deep pain. I must be willing to take my destructive impulse to dehumanize others and come to seek the redemption and transformation of my enemy. I cannot do it myself. Jesus had soaked up the language and life of Psalm 22. He had so absorbed it that the words sprung out of his lips when he was in agony on the cross. He cried out with anger and despair, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But when all had been done to him, his body broken, when humanity had done its absolute worst to God, God did not respond with vindictive rage. No, Jesus' last words on the cross are the last words of our psalm. It's quoted in the Gospels as, it is finished. But another way to translate the very same words in Hebrew is, God has done it. Because we can't get out of the cycle of rage on our own. It is only by the mercy and grace of God that something redemptive can be made of our anger. Because God took the darkest, most rage-filled hours in human history and accomplished the redemption of humanity. I mean, it could have been Armageddon with tanks in the streets and revenge on all of our enemies. 
But instead, it was a cross and a rolled-away stone at the entrance of a tomb. The difference between God's anger and ours is that God's anger is always directed towards love. It always seeks to redeem. It never seeks to destroy. God's anger always seeks a second chance, never to humiliate and degrade. Anger in service of love, in other words. Love so deep that it takes the very worst in our imaginations and hearts and transforms it into something good. Permission to be angry, we ask God. Granted, God says. Amen.
Well, each time we gather, we share concerns and celebrations that we have and announcements, and I'll bring a few of those to you this morning. Uh, Directly after the service this morning, we'll have uh, a family missions lunch uh, for our families and children. We've got pizza ordered, should be here in 10 minutes, God willing. Join us in the fellowship hall to pack uh, missions snacks uh, for children in Cobb County school system who are on reduced or free lunch. Church council tomorrow night and church and conference will be next Sunday after the worship service. On the back of your order of worship is information about trunk or treat. And we need candy for trunk or treat. I've been remiss in reminding you of that. Uh, please go out and get candy. Eat some yourself. That's customary. And bring the rest in to us. That'll be on October 28th. And we need volunteers. So there's a sign-up genius. And if you don't know what that means, you can pretend that I'm a sign-up genius. And you can just come and ask me, and I'll, I'll get you signed up. Um, would love to have you help. Um, Let's turn to our prayers this morning. Uh, We pray for victims of Hurricane Michael as the death toll continues to grow and entire communities uh, devastated. Of course, we pray in our own congregation for the family of Jerry Humphreys. And uh, we said goodbye to her on Wednesday, and uh, we will miss her dearly. I'll bring you an update from James. Uh, Brother James is recovering very well at home. And he gets better every day. We hope to see him back later this week. We're so glad to have Mary Lou back. Um, her, uh, her father was admitted to the ER about a week and a half ago with blood clots uh, and is recovering now, and she's been spending time with him. And for those of you who don't know, we welcome uh, Melinda Clark uh, with us today, our new interim organist. We're so delighted to have you, Melinda. Welcome. Um, as well as we join with others who have their own prayer concerns, we lift them up to God this morning. The music you're about to hear, I made the mistake in staff meeting of thinking that it was written by the Supreme Court Justice, Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr. It was his daddy, in fact, the 19th century poet who wrote The Chambered Nautilus, and it was put to music by Gordon Young. And we'll hear that delightful music this morning as we continue our worship with the giving of tithes and offerings.
our deepest emotion, take us now, accept us and these gifts that we offer for service in your kingdom. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now hear this good word, this benediction. May we take our anger this week to God, seeking redemption and reconciliation. May we act with mercy and love towards those who have harmed us. And may Christ's grace and peace transform our minds and our hearts this day. Amen. Amen.